0: Welcome to the Feeling Bookish Podcast. I'm Robert Fay in Portland, Oregon, and I'm joined, as always, by Roman Sivkin in New York. And it's uh, autumn in New York, Roman. It
1: beautiful is. A beautiful time of year.
0: Yes, first it, day. It's kind of chilly here. It's overcast. It's really nice. I love it. It makes, makes me think of that Billie Holiday song, uh, Autumn in New York, some kind mm. of romantic, romantic mm. idea of New York City in the fall. Well, um, today on the episode, we're going to talk about uh, the German writer... Uh, Wolfgang Hilbig and Wolfgang Hilbig um, is a writer who is starting to be rediscovered in his native country he was a uh, he was born in 1941 uh, during the war and grew up uh, in East Germany in communist East Germany Um, he uh, later in his life was able to move across the border in 1985 uh, with a visa to West Berlin. So he did have some experience of uh, living in the West, but his, um, you know, most of his adult life was shaped by living under communism. And there's been a, a slew of of new translations uh, coming into English. And that's partly because he's becoming, as I mentioned, rediscovered uh, in Germany itself. And there's a, a you know, he died in 2007. He was born in 1941, as I mentioned, during the war. Um, and he's starting to really, really come on the scene here in Germany and, and across the world with a, a series of great translations. So um, today we're looking at um, one of the newest translations that's come out. Uh, and they're really beautiful, small editions from Two Lines Press, a small publisher in San Francisco. Um, and the name of this is... The females, and so it's a very small book, a novella. Um, to frame it, maybe it's to, you think about it in terms of almost um, Dostoevsky's Underground Man. Um, the, there's really not much of a plot in this novel. Um, we're centered directly in the consciousness of a, of a, as I said, a kind of underground man, um, and he is a, a factory worker. Um, and we are plunged straight into his conflicts around uh, love, uh, gender, uh, the state, particularly living under a totalitarian state. And so, you know, Roman, uh, you know, the, the things that really jump out at me with the females is, um, again, as I think, I almost wonder, if, is this a novel about the inability to be loved, both by uh, one's mother, one's home? And also by the state, because I think the the backdrop to a lot of this is that growing up in a communist country, and you have some insight into that, uh, the state is everything. And the state is kind of the religion. It's the mother. It's the family. It's the reason for being in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, maybe we can start there about um, living in, under these conditions.
1: Yeah. Well, let me just back up a little bit, because I want to really commend Two Lines Press for doing this because really a writer of such stature as Wolfgang Hilbig, he would think he'd be published by the you know one of the big publishers, uh Knopf or something like that. Um, and it used to be the case, right? Uh, these wonderful writers um, from abroad were published by these big presses. Uh, and this guy really... It deserves, it's not that it deserves to be published. But, I mean I'm, I'm so happy for Two Lines Press but it's just kind of surprising that it's a small publisher and I really got to give props to Veronica Scott Esposito for doing this. Um, I, I'm just I'm flabbergasted. It's not – it hasn't been snatched up by a big publisher. I'm just – it doesn't compute <clears throat> in my head at all. Truly,
0: I, but I would also point out though, Roman, that um, – there is some precedence for this kind of movement of of European literature or avant-garde literature coming in first with a smaller publisher. I think of New Directions. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and New Directions um, would handle people like uh, Celine from France, and um, you know some of the kind of existentialist writers, and and uh, and, and they weren't huge. They they built a reputation uh, in the second half of the twentieth century, but you know they started out. I think someone other. It's just,
1: it's just, it still kind of boggles my mind. I, I, I get what you're saying. It's just, I mean, this guy is not, you know, he's not writing in some weird, obscure, experimental style. I mean, yes, it, it is very poetic and very dense and very kind of, in its own way, um, shrouded in its mm-hmm. own symbolism. Uh, but still, still, I mean, this should be, this should be a big publisher's dream. You know, but I guess culture has changed, things have changed, um, and it's. I'm I'm just glad it's
0: out. So again, uh, big props for Two Lines Press. Totally, um, absolutely. You know, it, and so maybe we can kind of uh, try to you know ground the listeners a little bit in in where this protagonist is and in the kind of world he's in. And um, the novel itself was written uh, in the uh, mid 1980s, and as I mentioned, precisely the time that um, Hilbig got a visa to come uh, to West Berlin. Um, And again, this East-West and the division of Germany, I think, plays an interesting part in the book. And as I was telling you, Roman, before we started recording, um, he was uh, disillusioned with socialism in the East and was no... no. no big fan of capitalism in the West, so a man almost kind of without a country. Mm. But the, pro- the protagonist, uh, we, it sort of begins, and we're in a factory, and we're told that it's a former uh, slave munitions plant. So during, presumably during World War II, the, the Nazis were forcing people to work in this munitions plant. And he's, he's in the basement of this shop, uh, this factory, and he's kind of looking up through a grate, at these uh, female workers, these mm-hmm. women workers, and they are doing some kind of um, plastic mold piecework, um, and he's kind of gazing at them from below. There's a an absolutely kind of sexual charge to his observations, but there's an amazing. The book starts right away with this. There's a sensual body fluid grounding. Uh, right away in this book and in the adjectives and the words that you get are damp sweat mold fromage i love the he's using the yeah, french yeah. word yeah. for cheese i love it slime moist oil spittle um sweating um and and there's he the the protagonist notes that you know i've kind of become a sickness so there's a sickness associated with this um And then again, by the way,
1: echoing echoing Dostoevsky's Underground Man, right? First sentence is I'm a sick man.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I think that's a a good way to, again, to kind of move yourself through this book. And then there's this idea that the females, of course, the title, the females um, are eventually uh, banished or vanish from this town where the factory is. So he. Uh, the protagonist gets in trouble a little bit. He's fired from the factory. And he discovers that all the females have been, as I said, disappeared, so to speak, in this town. So there's, again, we're in the territory of a of a surreal, you know, non-realistic kind of book. Um, and I, I should point out that the, the title, uh, excuse me, The Females, and there's a reference to it later here in the book for something for us to... Well, yeah, because it's cause
1: it's, it's on page one eleven, I believe. I think I think you referred to that. it. Says I I would call these creatures the females rather than women, flying in the face of prohibition because it sounded more animal, more earthly. And again, going back to the opening, and in fact, the whole it's really a novella. It's not really a long novel. Yes, the the, the whole the whole book is filled with these earthly. Uh, out of head, you know, sort of below the head experiences. Even though there is a lot of things about eyes as well, but it's all like this body-centered uh, you know, filth, slime. I mean, the degradation of the body under, I guess, the communist state. Uh, kind of more specifically to the book um, is definitely in the forefront here. There is a de- degradation going on. There is, you know, a breakdown of
0: normal, normal sort of life forms.
1: Into something caricatured,
0: absolutely. And 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 again, as I mentioned, the the factory where the novella begins is a former uh, slave. Yeah, there's a prison camp. I believe he grew up next
1: to a prison camp. Exactly. In the book, uh, with you know, the Star of David, the yellow Star of David is mentioned. So there's prisoners. Um, There's a lot of things involving hair, uh, which is you know the body's sort of you know refuse, uh, feces. I mean, it's it's semen. It's all this. And I don't mean mean to make it sound like it's disgusting. It's not. It's remember, Hilbig started as a poet. Uh, he he was a poet at first. In fact, he published a poem. His first poem, I believe, was published in. He somehow managed to publish it in West Germany, for which he was fined, by by East Germany. Um, so it's a very poetic, um, earthly kind of earthy language, um, but it's definitely the whole the whole thing is very. Um, not quite surreal. There's surreal elements in it, but it's it's still grounded in some sort of near reality. And the guy goes to work. He takes a bus. He goes to complain to the magistrate. But it is kind of in and out of this dream dreamscape. Um, but it's certainly no. It's 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 closer to a nightmare than anything else. It's not. Um, you know, you never really quite rise your head you could just, above the, the the water level. You're always submerged into this muck. Oh, no,
0: absolutely. And, and and just to connect with the the title, of the females and, and also these barracks that he grew up next to. So he says, um, he says, I must describe the females who had lived in the torment and in the simple solidarity of these barracks where they were called females because women staffed the guard details. That was where the honorific was invented, the females. And so by guards, I think he means the the Nazi female guards during the war. Um, and so it's interesting that he calls it um, the honorific, the females. So there's an interesting, um, and you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast began. Um, as you said, he, he's fired from the factory for his, uh, I don't know, uh, his glaring at these women and, uh, inappropriate behavior at the factory, and so he he has to go to the the magistrate because everyone must have a job in a communist society and at that point he um, he 's kind of building up the courage to sort of confront this magistrate and at one point he says you know um, i 'd actually like permission to to wear a dress and he says i you know instantly says i can 't believe I actually said it, but <laughs> there it is. I went out and said it and then he um he starts scrounging around in some trash cans later on, and and he uh, uh, goes looking for female clothing. So it, it certainly in our cultural in our current cultural moment, it brings up this whole idea of you know is this a uh, are we starting is this a kind of proto uh, transgender theme um, that Wolfgang Hilbig has um, in the novel? I I started, but as I continued to read, I I started to feel like it was more about not necessarily gender fluidity, but more about um, he continues to go back to uh, this lack of love from both the state and also his mother. And it's interesting. I, I'm not sure how the communists in East Germany referred to the state, but certainly with with nationalism, you hear about mother Russia, right? You hear of the country is embodied in a kind of female sort of form. And I, I know you want to say something wrong, but but one one thing real quick that to kind of connect that is that at one point, he says, You know, I was born at the beginning when my country was divided. And he actually um, has this wonderful sort of uh, paragraph where he describes Germany as a female body. And it's really interesting. He, he says the dividing line was right at the waist. So the, the sexual part, the vagina, is actually in the West. And he equates capitalism with this kind of sexiness. And East Germany was just from the waist up, and it was kind of pure. And it wasn't right. about expressing your sexuality. And that also made me think of the Christian idea of all the members of the church are referred to often, particularly in the Catholic world, as the body of Christ. So there's the physical body of Christ. And every Catholic, for example, actually makes up that body. And so I, it's almost like he's playing with that kind of mm, metaphor for for the German nation. Um, so i don't know again you you uh you grew up in in a country that no longer exists called the Soviet union um, uh, yeah you know i was I was too little to really
1: get a sense of of you know to to get ideologically fucked so to speak by by soviet union <laughs> i was i was six <laughs> six and a half when i left but but as you know again growing up in East Germany, he does mention this a lot uh in the in this book yeah uh, you know, the state the state's sort of attitude towards sexuality was very um sort of hush hush don't don't say anything you know anything vulgar uh, purity women are pure, men are filthy um this kind of divide this whole and also what I noticed is this this this, this whole in and out sort of metaphors this you know he's an outsider in his own country. Um, he puts his hand into the trash can and, and kind of holds it there, and then the trash can is likened to a vulva at one point. So this this whole in and out uh, kind of dynamic going on, and also since you mentioned um, you know Christianity, I was uh, listening to an NPR interview with this uh, lady who wrote a book about the Christian purity movement. You know, this you know basically making a vow not to have sex until marriage. And she was kind of breaking down how how her life kind of ended up w- within this movement, and it's not good, by the way. Um, but it also kind of very much reminded me of, of this book because, again, he talks about how the fatherland – because in, remember, in Russia is the motherland. In Germany, it's the fatherland.
0: At oh, yes. Point, good point.
1: At one point in the book, uh, he imagines that the fatherland you know, had sex with his mother and gave birth to him. Um
0: Yes, yes, and he actually yeah. references the uh, Immaculate Conception, yes. another Christian concept, yes. and for those who don't remember their catechism, is basically the idea that the Virgin Mary was uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, so uh, Joseph was really a, a kind of stepfather, you know, that there was no conjugal relations between St. Joseph and Mary. Right, it's just and a way so of, kind of
1: removing sexuality from the picture. Yes, because it's just too, too, too complex to deal with. So let's call it dirty and shameful and forget about it and push it under the rug. But it's still there. It's still there. And that's what this book is really, really pushing on your, on your sort of consciousness as you read it. It's just still there. It was just not going to go away. He's got a prick. He masturbates. He thinks about women all the time. Um, there's there's this insatiable kind of like desire to just keep keep going. At one point he considers suicide, but he just doesn't do it. He just keeps going. Maybe this there's, you know, there's some hope going on here, um, but it's all this this powerful uh, powerful sexuality that just he just can't. As much as he's trying to repress it, because he he does want to sort of live happily, so to speak, in this state. He wants to sort of conform, but he just can't. And, and I love this, this twist that he – because he, you know, he, at the age of six, he tells his mother that he wants to be a writer and, of course, he gets scolded and his mother is very disapproving. Um, but he does begin to write and he writes and he writes but then his, he thinks his language is, is his sickness. Then his language becomes his sickness. So he kind of buries his sexuality in his language. He becomes a pornographer. Right, he gets called out for for writing something pornographic, um, and he's very ashamed of it. Um, but again, it comes out in the writing because the guy is is a writer for you know first and foremost. Um, so it's just kind of this yeah. mix of sexuality and writing is really fascinating.
0: Yes, and, and his um, you know his mother again this this source of um, of should be a source of love uh, kind of ridicules. Uh, his writing ridicules the idea of being a writer, and there's no validation there for the protagonist from from this. At and the so same almost, time,
1: I, at the same time, Rob, see this. This is this is why I love literature because it's not it's not you know straightforward. This this is and this is not. It's not sure. straightforward because at one point she you know his mother goes to West Germany because she's allowed to leave to for a visit at least because she's a pensioner now she's older, so she goes to West Germany and. Um, uh, the the protagonist is on his own, and guess what he says? I feel defenseless without his mother. Mm. Yeah. So 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 the whole like, the whole females the whole women aspect is they're both very far and unattainable for whatever reasons. His growing up, his uh, um, education, um, the ideological sort of uh, atmosphere of the country, but also they're they're hateful they're they're potentially monsters, but at the same time he really wants to be able to love a woman and be loved he, they're yes. they're they're both they're both um females are both sort of this this monster and and god so again this this in and out this this duality is very, very much manifest here. So they're not just all bad. It's not just like a mis- yes. misogynist uh, book. It's not at all, at all. No, 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 And this no. is something, Rob, um, this is something before you before I, I just want to say this to, to listeners because um, as I told you, you know, prior to recording, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this book because I haven't really had time to process it. Uh, we just read it. And like with all great literature, um, just explicating and talking about it is great, but it's not – The literature, right? It's, it's, it's way secondary. It's like, just, just, you know, not, not what we're talking about. So what I've tried to sort of process in my head is how not to explicate this book, not to reduce it to explanations. Okay. So what I'm really, really suggesting to readers, I mean, to listeners who haven't read this book is just forget about us. Forget about this podcast. Just know that we are really highly recommending this read because as you read it, things will become apparent to you. Maybe not in very explicit terms, but like right now I'm feeling it right now, but I can't, I just can't explain it. I just read something great. I can talk about, you know, some of the aspects of it, but whatever I'm saying is wrong. Because you can't replicate this book in explication, you know, you can't replicate it by talking about it, about it. You have to sort of immerse yourself in it and then you sort of get it without really your logical, rational mind getting it. So there's something very, like with all great literature, it's, it's beneath the surface. Uh, we can try to make sense of it rationally, but really the, the, the magic of it is is
0: emotional uh, dude, I, I think that's you know? that's perf- perfectly said, and and I think like compared to our last episode, which we looked at the loser by Thomas Bernhard, you and I had both read that book years ago, mm-hmm. absorbed it, are familiar with his entire you know uh, canon, so to speak, and then we reread it uh, before the podcast. So absolutely, so I think that's a great yeah purpose. yeah, this- and, I, and I think this is a conversation between two book lovers who are excited. Um, it is not meant to represent some kind of um, PhD thesis right, right. On, on, just, on what he is. Right.
1: We're just it's a, really our reflections on, on what we've read and it's not not academic in any sense. I'm totally. sure I'm sure we're saying wrong things. I'm sure you know in an academic sense, I'm sure we're we're probably not mentioning something very important, but that's not the point. And the point is just to give us give give listeners kind of an impression of, of our reading experience and hopefully get Absolutely. them to read as well.
0: You know, and um, a few things I just wanted to throw at that that touch upon some of the threads you were just going through is I really highly recommend there's an interview um, with a publication. Is it 3 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? 3 a.m. Is the, with, the, with, with the translator? Yes. It's yes. with the translator, yeah. Isabel Fargo Cole. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she talks about, and this goes back to your comment, Roman, of yes, the mother is unloving and difficult, but he's defenseless without her is she pointed out that um, he was at some point an ardent or an ideal idealistic socialist. And um, when he went to the West um, I think he, he disliked the West for, for the reasons that many people who had grown up under communist uh, countries felt, of course they appreciated the freedoms. They appreciated all of the things the West offers, but many of them have pointed out that there was absolutely no soul. There was no substance. There was nothing beyond personal consumption, um, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. the pursuit of money. And so many people, I think, um, disillusioned with communism come to the West and then they find that uh, uh, this is not a loving mother either. And so I think that's worth pointing out. And then I want to just go quickly back to this this idea again of of the body, the partition of Germany, um, sexuality, all of these things, and just read a a quick passage here. He said, "Um, I suddenly imagined the country's partition first being performed through the waist of the females, so delicately that they'd never even notice. The females' lower bodies, their perfumed refinement, or so I gathered from the polemical straw stew my brain was fed, belonged on the other side of the wall in the reactionary camp, the West, where they'd be stuffed with money. And then later uh, he says, to my alarm, I realized that my prick, which had been provoking me for some time, aimed over this wall. Mm-hmm. That is at the female's lower bodies. But my head still wished to remain here. So... Uh, you know, and I, I've traveled a bit uh, in Europe and I spent some time in, in the Czech Republic right after the wall fell. And there was this weird duality of you could see that there was a vacu- vacuousness with a lot of capitalist systems. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was no soul and there was no heart where on a certain level there were some principles of workers unite, common property. There was an idealism there initially. Of course, it was corrupted by a dictatorship as a dictatorship. Um, but there's something there. And in this, you know, this book really brings us back to a Germany that is still reeling from the devastation of World War II, and then a double curse of of dealing with this separation, this division, and then of course the curse of another fascist system uh in the East. And, you know, Roman, it makes me think also that he describes growing up, you know, next to a factory, a slave factory and playing in it. And I know you've spoken about um, your father was born, was a young boy uh, uh, in Russia uh, around World War II. And so he grew up in a similar That's destroyed right. world. That's right. In fact, he, my, my
1: dad used to tell us stories of um, uh, these old uh, um, German prisoners of war. Who were made to work for the Russians, for the Soviets, right after the war. And they would work in these very uh, Hilbigian uh, basements. Uh, my father used to kind of like, he was always told, don't go to the basement, the Germans are there, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he would tell these weird stories of these Germans who I guess never went back home for some reason, uh, who would just do menial labor and uh, were despised by the Russians. And treated as basically very you know low low case low caste kind of people, Uh, but it's just kind of it it really it's funny you mentioned it because I didn't even think about it. But you're right. It's and again they were working in the basements. They were working in these dank, uh, very 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 much what we just read about. You know this kind of basement existence. Um, So so yeah, that's that's very interesting you brought that up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes and I, and I actually um when I was living in New Hampshire I had a neighbor who was uh he was from Germany and he um probably the same uh time frame of Hillbig and he was a young boy in Germany uh, he remembers the US soldiers occupying some of the towns and it's interesting he he remembers a feeling though of it being all quite fun a, as a kid mm-hmm. you don't have all the context and there right. were you know all these uh all this rubble and you could have forts and you could run around Um, And, you know, there were soldiers who were had rifles and it was quite interesting. Um, So there's that perspective. But, you know, one thing that uh, I don't want to keep harping on communism, but one thing that I did find surprising was, as we said, he he talks about, you know, you you almost the asexuality Mm -hmm. uh, of, of the East. And he says, you know again, the, the, the West is sort of the sexuality. And he said, that's why all the women wanted to go to West Germany, to, to West Berlin, because, you know, that's where the excitement and the sexuality was. And he kind of says, you know, I was supposed to love Karl Marx, and I was supposed to love Lenin. And, and kind of, um, if I had any desire, it would only be because the state had given it to me. You know, that was the only way I was allowed to have desire. But it is interesting, because I, I, I have read that, uh, I've also heard that in, in East Eastern Europe, that uh, sexual mores under communist countries, compared to say what they'd been under a Catholic kind of thing, say in Poland, were actually quite liberal. That uh, abortion was readily available, divorce was readily available. Um, that uh, you know, um, sexuality wasn't really taboo in a sense. So, so it is interesting to hear of a almost a kind of puritanical. Uh, wing of of communism. Maybe this was just in the early days, in the fifties, mm, things like
1: that. I, yeah. I don't know. Well, remember that comedian Yakov Smirnov? Yeah, of, uh,
0: course.
1: of course, right. Well, one of his big, you know, most favorite jokes were was um, in yeah you know, in 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 Russia, women are like buses. That's it. That's the end of the joke. Now, of course, <laughs> now we think all oh, Russian women are beautiful, blah blah blah. But in communism, under communism, maybe the 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 drab dress or something like that. And and, and here's, here's a great passage from Hilbig from uh, The Females on page 54. Perhaps amputation is the wrong word, and I should speak of castration. Castration that mutilate, mutilated my interior world. I wasn't operated on. It was all left attached to me, but the cells that steered it were dimmed. My cells, certain cells of mine, were ster- sterilized and castrated. It was a castration of the brain. And fair femininity was the forceps they used. So it's this yes. kind of really wonderful imagery here of castration of the brain, where where any kind of hint of uh, sexiness, of curvature, of feminine guiles, um, is removed, is sterilized. Women wear drab clothes. You can only see the, their lower torsos where he works from in the basement. They're, they're not fully human. And in fact, they disappear from the town. But do they really disappear from the town? Well, not really. From, from my reading, they disappear from his vision, from the protagonist's vision. He can't see them yeah. eventually. He just can't literally see them. They, he's blind to the femininity around him. The state has done his job. It's castrated his brain. Yes, you know.
0: Yes, and and I I still, as I said, in in you know, you put it perfectly that we're reacting in the moment to this book. We're still kind of raw. I still can't quite figure out whether um, this desire for castration, or maybe not a desire, but this reality of castration, um, him, you know, wanting to publicly wear dresses, is this? Um, I'm trying to relate this to. The repression, and so is this. Is the protagonist essentially saying that my my gender is not correct? Is he trying to identify with the females, or is he simply saying that um, there has been so much sexual repression that um, I cannot have any desire toward women? It's too dangerous. It's too provocative. And and certainly, I'm I'm you know uh, uh, clear enough that. A desire to wear female clothing is not—you uh, cannot equate that with somebody who feels that they um, are in the wrong body, that have the wrong gender. These are, you know, these are very different things. But um, it's hard also to to read this book within our current cultural moment, where mm. um, people who feel they were born in the wrong gender are saying, you know. This is just how I feel. This is the reality, and uh, I'm going to be who I am. Um, and so, again, this is a different cultural context. It's a different country. Um, so I'm still, you know, probably a second reading. Yeah, yeah. But I think I really think you're right. This.
1: I think there's definite there's definite resonances with uh, with with our modern world and uh, and the West as it is right now. Um, Again, it's. I, I hesitate to use the word allegory or anything like that, but it's it's got a yes. very it's got a very um, universal yes. feel to it. So it's not particularly East Germany, even though East Germany is you know it's, it's actually named and he talks about it specifically. Uh, but it it does seem to to reach down deeper into a basic some sort of human condition, uh, which is why we're responding to it like it's a masterpiece because it feels like it is. Um yes. It applies to us. It applies to our understanding of gender. Um, do do we really see the females around us, and how do we see them through the male gaze? I mean, this is all addressed in the book. Um, what does the male gaze do to the females? Uh, how do the females? You know, how do we how do we interact in general? I mean, it's all it's all in here, and it's all this is a short book. And it's a, again, it's so hard to explain. I'm sure we're talking probably around in circles here, but. It, it, it has to be experienced and it has to be imbibed and sort of and, and left to sit for a while uh and then reread again and then maybe again. Uh because Absolutely. it's just it just keeps on giving. You know, I mean I'm I'm just still very much um very much in this dream the the dream world that he created and it's a little bit hard to see outside of that because I just finished the book. Again it it needs time to sit and settle down. The sediments are all flying around right now, you know, it has to be Calm and then and then you sort of can see the the bottle the the champagne bottle that he almost uh,
0: uses to kill himself in the book <laughs> yes, um and so i I want to key on what you said that what makes this a great book and what makes it uh, worthy and what makes it the fact that it it will likely last is that it's it's really about a universal human condition, and I want to read a paragraph that really gets to. Um, at one point, he's in this dream state. He's in his apartment. He's kind of spinning through all this. And he starts talking about um, kind of a almost a social anxiety or this feeling of separateness. And, it, and it's a feeling that certainly many writers and many readers can identify with, this idea of maybe being somewhat self-conscious or self-aware and feeling separate from mm-hmm. uh, the group, so to speak. And he says... Um, I saw myself in yet a different way. Yet again, it seemed possible that I could be one of them, you know, presumably the, 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 the well-adjusted right, people. Right, the normals. That, that I could deceive them, that they could overlook my true condition. Yes, even overlook my boundless tension as I went into their midst, hoping to seem at least outwardly calm, that they wouldn't sense how utterly ensnared I was by my anxious desire for people to like me, that I was completely dominated by this one craving to be loved, and at the same time, extremely concerned not to reveal that craving to them. For I was convinced that because of this frailty, I'd forfeited all possibility of love. Convinced that if they discerned even one iota of my trepidation, that they'd immediately scorn me for it. And I think unless we are all uh, super confident, um, right. you know, alpha types, right. <laughs> we've, we've probably all felt... Uh, Somewhat marginalized, or felt at times that we weren't loved, and oh, we
1: couldn't reveal our true our true selves, so to speak, in, in well, a that, certain context, yes. right?
0: Or, or that precisely the very thing you're feeling, please accept me and love me. That if you reveal that, it's that very thing would would prevent any possibility of anyone loving you, right? Um, and so, <laughs> so that's why my thought was, you know, uh, is this really about? The fear of being unlovable, the fear of not being loved, and by all those who should. And and again, I keep going back to the state and the mother. And again, to go back to our cultural moment where women are are letting us know, letting men know in particular, that um, that it is sucked forever to be a woman in many ways, and that the power imbalance is outrageous, etc. I think I'm sure most of our listeners know what's going on. But I think there's always one thing that's, that's occurred to me um, is that women as mothers certainly have an amazing influence on humanity and also on, on men. And I think um, you know, he kind of shows that uh, quite well here, the, the kind of powerful figure um, that, that a mother is, um, almost as powerful as the state. Um, yeah, but and and so I think now notice that he he also portrays his mother in very frail
1: terms. Uh, and this is uh, I read old rendering plant uh, a while ago, yes. another book of his, and again the mother shows up there as well. And again, yet again, she's very frail. So I mean, maybe it's because of the the timing that he's writing. You know, she's actually an old lady, but um, there's a definite there's a definite sort of sort of this tension between. Portraying women as as almost all powerful and then all, as very frail, um, and and sort of malevolent. Um, again, it's just something that I can't explicate in words or in my rational mind exactly. But there's this this tension between you know, pulling and pushing uh, with the whole female. Angle, you know, both as, a, as giving birth, you know, pushing, <laughs> and then yes. they pull you, pull you sort of in, in various directions as you grow up. Um, so I, it's just, I just, I'm not sure exactly how to wrap my brain around it. Nor do I really particularly want to, because I really think, like I said before, this is a subconscious, sub rational uh, gift that Wolfgang Hilbig is giving us, that uh, readers will imbibe and sort of internalize, and it will affect the way you look at the world. Like all great literature, it will definitely have an effect. Uh, if if nothing else, it will give you pause for thought and maybe
0: thought for pause. Yeah. No, you're so right, man. And, and we are we are doing a kind of uh uh violence to it but but it's fun it's fun to talk well yeah
1: about well this. we have to we have to sift through it because because you know it's it's a bunch of pages and then you start sifting through them and to see how it connects to your life and to your understanding of the world because otherwise it's just it's just a bunch of writing and actually he again he he goes into that as well you know writing becomes this jumble of words it's it's there are anthills of, of black and white you know of script of letters they they become this dematerialized and sort of decontextualized um, which is perhaps the true pornography of writing when when you when you when you lose that connection to the world with your writing it becomes pornographic it's just you just like stare at it with this kind of weird eye and make it all ugly
0: Um. Yeah, you know, um, you nailed it when you said that great art and great writing starts to hit us below the rational mind and and things are going on. And you you reference that scene where there's the the champagne bottle Mm -hmm. and um, there's a, you know, he starts to contemplate suicide. And, um, you know, I'm sure many people have made this connection very casually and it's very obvious to them, but really made me understand that of course the the champagne bottle and champagne it's a you know iconic element of any celebration any party and i i really understood that of of course champagne was chosen as you know the alcoholic beverage for a kind of festival because there is this underlying sexuality to popping a cork there's a kind of and and the champagne kind of spurting out that this is almost getting at what is under the undertone of many parties and festivals sexuality men and women wanting to be with each other men and women men and men wanting to be together women and women so there's a that speaks to people and we don't even need to to rationalize we but don't even need but, to talk but about here's
1: it. here's the Hilbigian touch what is the yeah. first of all the champagne bottle comes from a trash can so it's filthy already right second of all yes. he uncorks it it's half full and corks it he smells it he pours it over all, all over himself because it's actually gasoline it's not champagne yes. at all yes. it's got the that the, so the trappings of this high high level highbrow kind of you know drink that's you know sexiness it denotes sexiness wealth maybe maybe the west as opposed to the east east germany um but yet it's filled with gasoline and it's filthy and he almost kills himself with it you know so I'm not sure what tells us. It tells us again. I, I don't want to explicate it because I think it will kill it by explicating. But it's it's just such a wonderful image, um, and and I love the trash cans. I mean, this the trash cans are central <laughs> to this novel. They, they they he starts with some trash cans. They're, they're in the middle. They're at the end. He always just – he surrounds himself with trash cans. At one point, he just sits right in the middle of a bunch of trash cans and like, like we just said, he almost lights himself on fire with this champagne bottle, the gasoline inside it. Um, and he puts his hand I, – I love this. This is my favorite. I, I'm not not sure if favorite is the right word but it's my, the most outstanding image that I'm taking out of this book is this his hand, this hand of this desperate man. Uh, reaching into the trash and keeping it there in this oozy, disgusting garbage that's filled with a lot of times with human hair. It's got a little human hair fetish going on, or something like that, or at least sub theme of, you know, from, again, from the Holocaust, you know, the prisoner's hair being shaved off and being basically stored in one area. So there's just this tons of hair, but he just reaches into the trash can and just feels the hair and all this filth in there. And that gives him some sort of. Comfort, some sort of grounding. (laughs) I'm not sure what to call it, but it's really an outstanding imagery that he just develops throughout the book um, that just is probably going to stay with me
0: for a long time. And and to go back to uh, PhD theses, I think that um, there must be one that's going to be written on the theme of trash cans. In uh, uh, literature written by people living in communist countries, because <laughs> the first the first thing I thought of was I thought of uh, a book dear to your heart, uh, The Doomsday. I was thinking about the, that too.
1: That's funny. I was just totally the, thinking about that. By the yes, by the, <laughs> the garbage. He's a, guy, he's a
0: garbage collector. The guy, exactly. Yes. So so I don't know what it was about garbage and trash in a communist country. Maybe it's just the perfect metaphor for. Uh, totalitarian system I, I don't know Right
1: but. No absolutely By the way we are just talking about The, the Strugatsky brothers uh, The Russian The Soviet writers uh, It's their last novel Called The Doomed City At least the last novel You know That they wrote And was, of course published Very you know Very very late I believe in the 90s um, And it, it Sort of In a very fat, phantasmagorical way uh, Science fiction Kind of way It recapitulates The entire history Of the Soviet Union and uh, I highly recommend that book. By the way, the the Doomed City by the Strugatsky brothers. It's just it's just amazing. A recent translation in English is, is quite good. Um, but again, residents. Yeah, you're right. The garbage. Uh, uh, in fact, the the Doomed City is strewn with garbage. It's it's everywhere. It's inescapable. Um, and I tell you, uh, that's that's my one of my sort of images from what I do remember from Soviet Russia is is grayness a lot of this you know drab gray you know communist kind of architecture and trash there was trash everywhere it, the streets <laughs> were dirty um, it, it's just something that I definitely distinctly remember so so yeah hilbig is right on the money here and can i just point out his name rob what what a name wolfgang hilbig i mean obviously wolfgang is a common german name but but for him it's just so appropriate he's he's kind of a lone wolf and he's gangbusters, uh, gangbusters, and he's big. He's a hill. He's a big hill. He's a big mountain to climb, uh, you know, f- from a literary perspective. Um, and I believe he was kind of a, a large man himself, physically. Um, but it's just, I'm so glad I discovered this writer. So happy for uh, Two Lines Press for getting, getting this stuff out there. And I really, really highly recommend uh, everybody read this book. I just, I, I can't, I can't quite say enough about it. Um, I'll think I'll be t- thinking about it for years to come, for sure.
0: Ch- cheers, yeah. And I and I think just to point out, I mean, if you, there's, there's, because these translations in English are so new and just rolling in, there's not a ton of writing and thinking about him online. You can Google him and, and it's, there's not a ton. So the great part is anyone listening here who, you know, tweets or blogs, who's listening, I mean, just jump right in and, and co- yeah, yeah, contribute to yeah. the contribute to the conversation. So this this is sort of a writer to be explored, and that's that's always really exciting. And from um, what I
1: understand, I have a bunch of his other books. I mean, I did read um, Old Rendering Plant, and um, I believe The Righteous Ones is what's something The Righteous something, um, and I have uh, I, his novel Eye as well. So some of his novels are much more plot driven. There's much more plot to it. This one is not one of those. This one is a very you know dreamy kind of. Um, Again, I don't want to use the word surreal, but it's 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 definitely not plot driven, um, and I'm really looking forward to to I because I is um, sounds to me like very uh, Phil, Philip K. Dickian kind of uh, exercise in. Uh, I'm specifically thinking of the uh, scanner Darkly, in which in, in Phil, Philip K. Dick's novel, in which basically. Uh, a drug addled guy is is informing on him himself eventually he's basically you know split personality kind of schizophrenic schizophrenic kind of um existence um and i i think has a very similar feel to it from the description that i've read where you know this uh, the german secret police is spying on on the protagonists but then he's spying on himself type of deal i don't want to i don't want to get into it because i haven't read the book but um uh, very similar themes, I'm sure, but much more plot-driven. So I'm really excited to explore some of his other books as well. I think he's not a one-dimensional writer. He's not going to be—you're not going to read the same book over and over again. Though um, the two books that I have read are very similar to *The Females* as far as the imagery and the kind of this this poetic language. Um, so he does have that in common, I think, with all the books. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to reading *I* as well.
0: Nice. Well, um, I think we're pretty much out of time. So we're going to wrap it up. And uh, it's been fun. And so just a reminder that you can follow Roman on Twitter at Zenju, And you can also follow me on Twitter at Robert one. And here's also my shameless plug of the week. Um, I also write for three quarks daily, a great site if you haven't checked it out and recently wrote about um, um, art and the responsibility artists may or may not have to address social ills like racism. And, and so kind of uh, explored that a bit. So that was kind of interesting. So I think that wraps it up. And uh, like I said, we're, we're autumn in, in Oregon and in New York City. So things are changing and nice time of year. It sure is, Rob. And yeah, seriously, guys, please, guys and gals, read, read Rob's
1: writing on Tweak ED. It's, it's very perceptive stuff. Um, I really enjoyed our article, Rob, by the way. Very, very good. Thanks, man. Um, Appreciate it. It's it's it, you know, in a way it's kind of funny that it should have been written. It shouldn't have been written at all. It's 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 common sense in the way, but people forget. Yes. People just forget. Yes. You know. Yes. The freedom well, of the
0: artist. Um, exactly, and I, I think that's what that's all my point was. Yeah. That. But it had to be it, made. It's not to because people. You're right. People yeah. are are losing their their shit right now for some reason. Right. You know? And it it is. It, you acknowledge that the social ills we have, whether it's it's racism or sexism, or, are are endless, but but the artist is not uh, a politician or a community activist, activist or a, a parent or a teacher. He's got to be free, yeah, and he's got to follow his muse. So, yeah, maybe we'll end it there. Um, so, man, it's been fun. We'll we'll do it again, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Roberto, take care. Okay, man, bye. Bye. Bye.